0: You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemaineradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program.
1: Girls are starting to think of themselves as both scholars and athletes um, that they are, you know, just as important as the boys' sports are. It is interesting
2: how those things, when you're young, you don't, you're not thinking about what influences are to, causing you to take a certain path.
3: This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love Main Radio, show number 215 Youth Sports, airing for the first time on Sunday, November 1st, 2015. How do we help children develop a love of physical pursuits? without overwhelming their growing bodies with strict training regimens and early competition. This has become an important topic of conversation as information continues to surface about the long-term impact of concussions and repetitive injuries. Today we speak with Rich Smith and Carrie McCusker, two seasoned coaches and educators about keeping young athletes safe, healthy, and happy. Thank you for joining us.
0: Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch Lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com.
3: I always enjoy spending time with people that I know socially or for other reasons and having the opportunity to bring them into the radio show and have a longer conversation with them. The individual before me today is Rich Smith. He's someone that I know well. He's a fifth-grade teacher at Yarmouth, where he's been coaching sports, three sports a year, for about 30 years. And for 27 of his 30 years, he's been the head coach of the Yarmouth girls' soccer team. Rich, you're a bit of an institution.
1: Yeah, I have been doing that for a long time. I think it was... Maybe three years ago, my first um, parent night at the with the Yarmouth girls soccer team, and I was at one of the parents I had coached um, when she was in high school, and that was a little, yeah, you know, a little re- revelation for me to be coaching somebody I coached's daughter, because it's been 27 years. I'm the only Yarmouth girls soccer coach. There's never been a girls soccer coach before. I was I started it, and then I've been there for 27 years now, so. It's kind of cool, and I do still enjoy it thoroughly.
3: I was talking to my sister Adele about the girls' soccer program, and we both remember when Yarmouth didn't have a girls' soccer program at all. You either did field hockey or cross-country. Those are the two sports when we were there. So my sister Amy and I did field hockey, and my sister Adele originally did cross-country. When the girls' soccer team came along in its first year, Adele decided that she was going to be on that original girls' soccer team. It was a big deal to start a sport from nothing.
1: Um. I, I remember I, I actually went to college and played football. My first year out of college, I, I uh, coached football at Deering High School. And then I got a teaching job in Yamas And they said they needed a JV boy soccer coach. So they hired, I said, well, I could try, but I don't really know that much about it, and I, I could use some help. And the head coach said, oh, don't worry, we, we heard you're pretty good with kids, and we can take care of the rest. So I did JV boys soccer for three years. Um, had no idea what I was doing or how to do it, but, you know, learned a lot from the coaches and the kids. And then after three years, I think it was 1987, they decided to start a girls' soccer program, and I said, I'll do that. That sounds great. And, you know, we started off 0-13-1 uh tied our last game of the year (laughs) and it was as as if we won the state championship we tied a game um and then we did get better and better every year and you know i think we won our first state championship in 1995 so it, it took some years to get there but we just got better every year and and uh The town had more and more kids playing soccer, and and the feeder system got better and better. And so, you know, traditionally, we're one of the better teams in Western Maine, Class B soccer. Um, And over the 27 years, it's just, we've been pretty consistent.
3: I want to talk a little bit now about how you got to the place where you decided, I want to be a teacher, and I want to be a coach. You grew up in Medford, Massachusetts, and you came to Maine because you were recruited to play football for the UMaine Black Bears in Orono. What was it about your early years that got you so into football that you would go on and play it in college here in Maine?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I am from a big family. I have nine kids. I have four brothers and four sisters. Uh, so we were almost up there with the Belial's. But, uh And my dad was a football coach. He was a high school football coach at Boston Latin. Um, and I used to go to his football practices and his football camps, and he, we always watched college football and pro football. And I have, of my four brothers, three of my other three of my brothers played college football as well. One played at Tufts, and two of them played at Northeastern. So it was kind of just ingrained in us as kids to, uh, my dad was an English teacher, and uh and a mat- and a football coach and a baseball coach and a referee and uh he was always you know either reffing or coaching or, or something like that and he did stress you know education is really important going to school um i always love the you know go to school i actually still do this today i go to school i practice or play or coach for a couple hours go home and have dinner with the family, do some homework, get up and do it all over again. So I feel that balances me to have that in my life um, where I get a great opportunity to teach all day long. Then I get to go outside and play. and and be with kids, and then I do have enough time to go home and be with my family and then have dinner and do some homework. Of course, my family's all grown up now, but um, I just think that is kind of like a balanced life to be able to do that. It's a great schedule for a day, Um, and so I coach soccer, and then I coach basketball, I coach baseball for years, I coach track for years. I do summer camps all year long. Um, Mike Haggerty and I do six weeks of summer uh, camps, and uh, we just love being with kids kids and being outside and playing and, and having fun, so it's fun for me.
3: I'm amazed by the fact that you've been doing this for such a long time and you've actually impacted so many people in my family. My sister Adele is in her early 40s now, she's just a little younger than I am. She was one of your earliest girls soccer players, then you had my sister Emily, my sister Sarah, you actually coached my brother Jeff in middle school basketball, and now you've had my daughter Abby who used to play for you before she went on to college. And now we have my daughter, Sophie, who's a rising freshman for the soccer team. I think you've had all three of my kids in fifth grade, too, as a teacher. It's been a lot of years of coaching and education, but you still maintain this enthusiasm. You still seem fresh and energized by the work that you're doing.
1: Mm. It is is kind of interesting. I actually had a fifth grader last year ask me, Ms. Smith, you've been doing this for like 30 years. Do you get bored? (laughs) And I was like... Actually, i never thought about that before. And I think what happens is the kids change every year. So even though I'm coaching soccer every year or I'm teaching fifth grade math every year, um, the kids change every year. So, it, it you know, they bring such a humor and a youthfulness and energy to my life that... Uh, I never get tired of it and I feel like even though it's my 30th, you know, year doing preseason soccer in a row, I can't wait for it to start and I I don't sleep the night before and I get nervous and I'm writing down, you know, plans for coaching like now and watching videos in the morning on soccer drills. I, just, I do enjoy it and, and I do enjoy the challenge of helping the kids be the best they can be.
3: Middle school seems like a really interesting time. Um, Not only do we need our kids uh, fifth through eighth grade to learn things like reading, writing, arithmetic, and all the basics, we also need them to learn how to be social. They're trying to understand how to interact with their peers and with their teachers. They're just getting to a place where they're starting to change classrooms and really do things like um, they're going to be doing them in high school. I've always thought that one of the things you, as a teacher, brought to the table is your ability to help kids with that socialization aspect of school.
1: Mm. Well, I think my background, my my dad was a real strong disciplinarian, and he didn't seem to make, to me, to make learning fun. He was a great guy, and I loved him. Um, And then I went to Catholic school with all nuns, and you obeyed the nuns you didn't learn because you loved learning and you didn't behave because you thought it was right to behave you learned because the nuns scared you into learning (laughs) and uh and uh you did what you were supposed to do because they were watching all the time and uh i always felt like Boy, even when I was a student, like, like school could be much more fun than that. And learning could be much more enjoyable than that. And as I've you know, learned to be a good teacher and a good coach, I've always kind of kept the, you know, if it isn't fun or it isn't enjoyable, they're not going to want to come back. They're not going to want to learn. And that's just how I learned. If it wasn't fun and enjoyable, I struggled with it. And when it was fun and enjoyable, I tried to do better at it. Um, so I think that in, in fifth grade, I definitely want their day. to be memorable I want them to want to come back tomorrow Um, I want them to love learning and I've talked to them about responsibility versus being obedient you know when you're responsible you do the right thing because it's the right thing when you're obedient you do the right thing because somebody's watching Um, so I try to teach that like being responsible you know learning while you're having fun not instead of uh, uh, having fun and I just try to keep that in the back of my mind when i when I plan everything when I think about you know is this too much stress I'm putting on these kids, or is this too fun and too too relaxing you know, and you gotta find that happy medium that makes them work and makes them learn and makes it enjoyable?
3: We know much more about learning styles than we once did maybe 50 years ago. We know that there are some children who are more visual, some are more auditory. We know that some children have a higher level of emotional development, and some have a higher level of kinesthetic or physical development. Has that knowledge changed the way that you approach teaching?
1: Yeah, I think it has. Um, I think knowing that kids and adults learn in different ways and have different strengths and different weaknesses does make you... Want to change and adapt um, lesson plans and and activities. Um, I think, again, you know, I think the balance word keeps coming up, but uh, I think, you know, just because they have a strength in visually learning doesn't mean, all right, let's not teach them the other way and not give them a little bit of of something else. Um, But we do do a lot more differentiation these days in class and we know where they're at when they come in. In the morning and say all right I can bring this kid to this level and I know if I challenge this person a little more he's going to get a little more or she's going to get a little more out of math class or science class today um, so we definitely we work as a team too in, in, in Yarmouth in our school and school system and we try to bring everybody's best thinking and best practice to the table um, so it's not just one person saying oh, I think this is a good idea Anymore, it used to be that. Um, now we kind of learn from each other. I have a great fifth-grade team that I work with, and there's three of us to do, do math and science, and we work together on okay, what's the best way to, you know, reach all these kids today, and, and all the different learning styles, and you know, there's a lot, a lot of computer work that we do, um, but we definitely try to mix it up so they get a variety.
3: One of my favorite topics is sports, specifically sports and children, and I know that this is one of your favorite topics too i love that we have great opportunities for our kids because i want our kids to be healthy i want them to learn how to socialize and feel successful in the field i want them to build lifelong skills and you have 30 years of doing this as a coach but also as a player as a football player at the university of maine is there a way that we can find a balance and not go too far in one direction I'm thinking about kids that play three seasons year round basketball, year round soccer, year round baseball. I've had children that have done this. What are the drawbacks to doing this? What are the pluses? What are the minuses?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, it's really difficult. I think it's really difficult for parents to know where to draw the line and where to say no we aren't going to be able to do this but you can do this um and you know kids are starting to specialize in, at a really young age and and at seventh grade they say i want to be a soccer player and that's all i want to do is play soccer and i'm gonna join the elite soccer team um in seventh grade and and they travel all over the country and they spend thousands and thousands of dollars and you know all kinds of stuff can happen when that happens. And I don't, I don't, I personally don't think it's good. I think being able to play a whole bunch of different sports, being able to play some that are just for fun, um, some that are team sports, some that are in individual sports. Um, usually, if you're a great athlete, by the time you're in junior, senior, in high school, if you think maybe I want to play in college or all beyond, I think that's an okay time to say, you know what, I'm going to focus on my school and soccer or my school and hockey because um, I want to go to college and play it. Um, or, um, but other, but other than that, I think. When kids start joining and playing year-round sports, they overtrain, you know, certain muscles, and they get prone to injury. Um, they sometimes get a uh, inflated picture about themselves and how good they are. And um, I know kids that, you know, they lived in Yarmouth, they can't beat Falmouth, but they feel like they need to go to Orlando, Florida, to a national tournament to prove how good they are. Um, and Vice versa. Um, and, you know, parents driving them around and spending all kinds of money and going to New Jersey every, every weekend, it, it is when you lose that balance in your family and you lose that balance in your, in your life. Uh, I know my daughter, Abby, played premier soccer, and she was a really good soccer player at, at Falmouth High School. And uh, she went away one weekend. I think it cost $350. She was supposed to play in a tournament in New Jersey. And for whatever reason, they left on Friday night. She didn't play on Saturday, didn't play on Sunday, came home at Sunday night. cost $350. She didn't play a second. And she was in New Jersey for a summer weekend. And she said, Dad, I think I'd just have you train me (laughs) in the backyard. I'd get more out of what I got this weekend. Um, So I do think that parents have to take those things into consideration you know what is gonna make them happy and balanced while still you know a lot of those kids who who push themselves and push to succeed and really want to get better you know there is there is a, you know there's a place for that too um and if you have a daughter who's in you know ninth grade and just loves a certain sport and loves a game and it's kind of their passion and it's what they want to do you know, with a lot of thinking, a lot of planning, I guess you got to try to, you know, make room for that. Um, I, my kids who are my own children who are athletes, um, never were just like, I want to do one thing and one thing only. They always wanted to do a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, my youngest daughter, who we didn't think was the athlete in the family ended up being a pole vaulter and a volleyball player. And, uh, you know, she kind of said, hey, there's a couple of what you know nothing about, Dad. I'm going to do those," and she did great at them, and and loved them, and enjoyed them, and it opened up a lot of different things in her life for her. So, um, I do think we, you know, our our kids are getting kind of pushed in a direction that might not be good for balance and for family and for successful futures. Um, and that we everybody probably should take a look at it. And I'm glad, I'm glad you asked me in to talk about it because I do worry about it. I worry about what kids think and what they believe is true and what they need to do when they're young in order to achieve something, and a lot of it isn't, isn't really true.
3: As a coach, you want your team to succeed, but you also want your players to be balanced. You've got good players who play premier soccer, and they happen to play for your team, so it's going to benefit you that you have these good players but in some ways, if someone has overtrained and gets gets injured doing this Premier work, or they're burnt out, or they're spending weekends traveling back and forth around the country so they can't spend time with your team, it can create problems.
1: Yeah, um, it definitely can. And uh, it is an interesting one because I've gotten praise and criticism for, I think there's people in Yarmouth who think I don't like Premier soccer. I have heard somebody say to somebody else, how come Rich... I hate premier soccer players. I'm like, I love premier soccer players. I think it's awesome that that's what they want to play, and they focus on the one sport that I coach them in. And uh, most of them, because of all the training and all the expertise and all the practice, get really, really good. Um, But I still fundamentally believe that if they can play for three sports or more for as long as they can, that they, um, I think that is a great option. So I never push or uh, I don't discourage, but I never push my girls into, yes, you should play Premier. You should give up basketball and lacrosse. You should uh, do nothing except for train to be an elite soccer player because I don't think that's what's best for them. And I think... There might be, you know, two or three that it is best for them. They love it. They're really into it. They have the athletic ability to kind of go for it and be outstanding. Um, but I don't think it is for everybody. And I do think premier programs that anybody in the state of Maine, no matter what their ability is, they could pay to be on a premier team or an AAU team. Um, and people will take their money and take their child and take them to New Jersey and Vermont and. Orlando, um, but it, it it isn't, I don't think, what's best for them and their family sometimes. It, what would be best for them to be more well-rounded and play all kinds of different sports and have enough time to study and do their homework and maybe get a part-time job and learn from different things. So it is a tricky balancing one. I know some parents have said, I'm glad you don't push my kid to do that. And some people have said, I can't believe he doesn't like premier soccer players, which is not true at all Uh, I love it when I do hear a kid at R2 and Yama doesn't have a lot of girls that play premier soccer Um, and sometimes I do know like uh, the coach from Scarborough just last week said he had 26 premier soccer players in his 8th grade that will be freshmen next year I was like all right, we have about 15 girls coming up for soccer next year in Yarmouth. Uh, I don't think they're all premier soccer players, um, but that that's great. And and in that community, they've they've said, you know, this is the way to succeed in soccer is going this route. And uh, I'm just not there yet. Although, let several girls do it, and I am definitely fine with it. I think it's okay. Um, but. Playing a bunch of sports and being well-rounded and fit and healthy and training all your muscle groups um, is the way I would like to see people go. You know, all kids, boys and girls do. Um,
3: Rich, both you and I have had daughters who have played premier soccer. And as a coach, you've, you have a broader view of this. It's not just people coming in to play for your team that are premier soccer players. Um I have a son who played premier soccer, but also elite baseball, and then I have a daughter who did multiple different swimming organizations. So I think you and I can agree that there are really benefits from doing this higher level of play. There are great opportunities. You get a chance to socialize with people outside of your town, you get a chance to experience different coaching styles, and you get a chance to compete with people from different states. But it also can be really expensive, really all-consuming. And, and I guess my worry is always that when I'm on the sidelines and I'm listening to the parent of a soccer player, or lacrosse, or hockey, or whatever team their kid is on, um, who spent a lot of money to send their kid to these um, places and to be part of this elite team, sometimes it sounds like they feel like they're not um, getting enough of a return on their investment. And sometimes it feels like maybe um, they hope that their kid will be able to play more for the local team. But there's no guarantee there. And I feel like this must be a tough situation to be in as a coach.
1: It is. It's tough. It's tough for the coaches because a lot of times, you know, those kids and, and those parents have been told how good they are and how much better they are than Somebody else, and then they get to their high school team, and they even though they star for their U14 team, which is all freshmen and it's a team in the state, and then they can't play for the varsity Yarmouth high school team. You know, they think it, well, it must be because the coach doesn't understand, it isn't that they usually. They don't see that their daughter maybe isn't good enough, um, so it makes for uh, you know it makes it challenging, and that's been a challenge you know off and on over the years i i did put down you one of the questions you asked is where what places in maine that you love the most and, and yarmouth is one of them i do feel like you know yarmouth school system and yarmouth you know coaching staff and yarmouth kids kind of they get it in general and uh i do you know i'm very proud to be a teacher and a coach in yarmouth and i do feel like you know in general the majority of the Kids and parents do get it, and they do understand. Um, and that's that's you know probably why I've remained there for so long. I just I, I love the community, and uh, I do love what they stand for. Um, and I think there's some wonderful, great parents and role models, and and unbelievably great kids in Yarmouth, in, including he, your children. You know they're just so much fun to coach and work with, and uh, very creative. And you know it comes with some challenges always, but just uh, it's a wonderful place to coach and work. Um, but there are everywhere there's, there's challenges, and there's there's some things you that need some explaining, that's for sure.
3: Sometimes I wonder if people understand that every year you have to create a team out of a group of individuals. You're coming up with a new combination of kids who need to work together. Sometimes you can be really great as a standout soccer player somewhere else, but when you come back to the town team, you need to be able to interact with other individuals. And that's its own skill set, I think.
1: I think so, too. Um, I do feel like I have stressed over the years the, whole, the team concept of, you know, everybody on the team is important and everybody matters. And I don't feel like we have <clears throat> kids in Yamath that think, I am the standout, I am the star, Um we wouldn't be here without me I don't think there is uh, much of that on the on the teams that I've coached and uh, I try really hard to you know create an environment which is warm and friendly and family-like so that you know you know the most important thing is that we have a great experience together learning how to play soccer and how to win and how to lose and how to um, you know Get through a season, you know, in harmony, and a lot goes into that. And then it's like, oh, so when things are bumpy and when things go bad, how are we going to handle it? And teaching kids and adults and learning yourself, and um, what do you do when things go wrong? Because you know, there's going to be some stuff that comes up in the course of a year when you're working with 40 high school girls and. 80 or more high school parents and, you know, athletic directors and administrators and teachers. And um, so stuff's going to happen that isn't so great. And it's like, so how do you handle that? You know, what what are you going to do? What's next? You know, and you worry about the next play or the next event or the next thing, not what just happened. Um, I think it's really important. And creating a team atmosphere and believing that everybody's important and everybody buying into it is very important to me. And I think it works most years, and I try to get it to work most years if I can.
3: (laughs) Rich, you started coaching a number of years after Title IX brought women and girls into the sports arena. You've had the opportunity to coach girls and coach boys. You have a son and two daughters yourself. Um, What have you noticed about coaching girls sports that makes it different from coaching boys sports?
1: Um, I do feel like... You know, girls' sports have come a long way. I do feel like girls are starting to think of themselves as both scholars and athletes, um, that they are, you know, just as important as the boys' sports are, um, that they train just as hard. And uh, care just as much about sports um, as boys do, and it didn't. It wasn't always that way. Um, When I first started coaching girls' soccer, they would, you know, they'd come to the game, play the game, and be like, "Yeah, but the boys' game's next," and then, you know fix their hair and and like they were more worried about the boys game than their own game at first um, and that doesn't happen at all anymore they really know that what they're doing is equally as important as what the boys are doing and that when they train and when they work and when they you know strive to get better that's okay and it's not frowned upon in any way that they're you know a female athlete I think you know they're really looked up to and admired just like boy athletes are um, and we try you know in Yamath to have you know be a scholar athlete and a good sport all the time and in fact I have coached 27 years and for about 25 of them 24 of them I was like just how come we've never won a sportsmanship banner you know I was like we're pretty good I've never heard who has won them or who, who I just know that we've never won a sportsmanship banner and then Three years ago, we won our first sportsmanship banner, and as it turns out, they didn 't give one in in soccer until three years ago that they gave them in basketball, and I think they gave them in one other sport, but they didn 't give sportsmanship awards in other schools uh, in other sports in the state of Maine and now they give them in all the sports and that 's something we 're really proud of that you know we play the game, we play it really hard we 're really good at it, um, but we play it the right way and we Smile, win or lose, and we shake hands, win or lose, and we are not disrespectful. Um, and the, the sportsmanship award is varsity, JV, uh, girls, uh, parents—you know, the whole, the whole deal. So it is a community award, and we've won it three years in a row. The only three years has been sportsmanship award. So I am very proud of that. I think that's important stuff.
3: It's been really fun to have you in to speak with me today, Rich. I thank you for coaching my children and my other family members and for also teaching my children. We've been speaking with Rich Smith. He's a fifth grade teacher at Yarmouth. He's been doing this for the past 30 years, also coaching three sports a year for about all of those 30 years. Rich, I I wish you all success in your upcoming soccer seasons, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Love, Main Radio is brought to you by Mary Libby of REMAX by the Bay, whose 15 years of experience and unique perspective on the industry puts creativity and enjoyment into house hunting. Specializing in properties in Southern Maine, Mary will work with you to get to know your wants, desires, and dreams, and make sure that the home you move into is as close to perfect as it gets. And she'll make sure you have fun along the way. Because while moving is one of the more stressful events you'll encounter, finding the right home doesn't have to be. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in Southern Maine, be in touch with Mary and find out more about why when it comes to buying and selling real estate, a good time really can be had by all. Mary Libby of Remax by the Bay your connection to living right. Go to marylibby.com for more information. Love, Main Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough, and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information.
3: Today, across the microphone from me, I have an individual that I've heard much about in many um, different areas, and I'm really pleased that I have the chance to spend time with her. This is Carrie McCusker, who is an endurance coach based in Cape Elizabeth. She's been an athlete her entire life. Starting with youth soccer, Carrie spent time on just about every playing field surface. She competed at national events as a Nordic skier during high school in Alaska and then at Middlebury in Vermont. After earning a master's degree in education, she combined her love of teaching with her passion for athletics and became a full-time professional coach. She lives in Cape Elizabeth with her two children and her husband, Tom. So nice to have you here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I must tell you that your name has come up in multiple times. We had Linda Banks on the show, and she was mentioning that you coach her. And um, I know kids that you've coached in um, Ultimate Frisbee. So... I was like, "Who is this Carrie McCasker person? We have to bring her in. She's so amazing that everybody loves her." And Thank you. so here you are. Thank you. And I'm I'm very glad that you're doing what you do because you must be doing a good enough job that people are really inspired. That's good to hear. And now that we've given you that, we're, we're, you know, we're going to humble you a little bit and just sure. go back to your beginnings. So you've been playing since you were a kid. I have, yes. I know I, I,
2: one of my earliest memories was playing soccer, and I played soccer my whole youth, and I remember being on the playing field. This is this is true, that I remember this, the, with the ball rolling down the field at the end of the game. I hadn't touched it the whole game, and I kicked it. And I just remember this feeling, literally, of like being part of that team, and, um, and of course that was the only thing I had done. I was just this tiny little girl, and at that time, too, there were probably one or two girls and a lot of boys so anyway i've been hooked on sports ever since
3: and where did the ball go after that
2: i think the game was literally over
3: but just the fact <laughs> I that you think touched it was it. rolling and i got like
2: one touch and then the game ended but it, to me i remember that moment of kicking it so yeah
3: well, that's pretty great that that is your memory that 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 like, oh, I touched it. There's the ball. As opposed to, well, I remember when we won this game or we won that game. or Right, right. I think I was, I mean, I was pretty small
2: and I knew you run around the field and you kick the ball. But yeah, it, it was a, I mean, it, must, it stuck with me. So it's something. So
3: where did you grow up? I grew up in New Hampshire until eighth grade and then I was in Alaska. So tell me about that because. When I was growing up, I'm around your age, and when I was growing growing up in Maine, there wasn't a lot of girls' soccer.
2: Yeah, so that is interesting, and I only reflected on that later in life. Like, what what was it that I was exposed all the way through? And I do have to give some credit, I think, to my parents and my dad, who often was the coach. So he, um, I mean, I got involved, obviously, really young. And. And I, I mean, I remember playing basketball briefly, probably third grade, and um, again, it was like two two girls and all boys. But I don't remember ever, like, thinking about that aspect of it. I was, it just was what it was. So there were camp, soccer camps and teams and everything. So,
3: yeah. Well, see, that's like the opposite of my experience when I was young. I think I was in third grade and I had this vivid memory of being one of like two girls in the entire... Um, gymnasium at the Yarmouth Elementary School playing basketball. And I was so overwhelmed by all these balls flying at me and the fact that I was the only one of two girls, I, right. I just left and I never came back. Yeah. But maybe if my dad had been there, right. you know, saying, like, hey, this is normal, it's fine. Just right. pick up a basketball, it's no big deal. Right. Maybe it would have been a completely different experience. Right. That's possible. Yeah.
2: I know. I, it is interesting how those things, when you're young, you don't, you're not thinking about what influences are. To, causing you to take a certain path. So,
3: so it, how did your family end up in Alaska? So my dad was
2: an environmental engineer consultant and had an opportunity to open a branch of the office he was working for in Anchorage, Alaska, and he took it. And I could say that I was not very happy.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's tough. As an eighth <laughs> it was grader,
2: was awful. Yes, I was going into eighth grade. It was it was horrible. Now I can look back and say that it was a an experience that changed who I am for the better. At the time, yeah, eighth grade, it was horrible.
3: No, I have a child who's going into high school, and if we had talked about moving her during middle school, or even now, she would not have felt very positive about that. So how did that become an experience that changed you? So first, it
2: was was literal culture shock. I mean, I, I moved from a tiny town in New Hampshire to Anchorage, Alaska, which is actually a city, and even though it is Alaska, there are seven high schools in this city. You know, so it's it's big. There's it's a it's a school with city issues. So that was a bit of a, a shock. And then, I mean, it really took me like one year to sort of find friends and find my way around. And then then it was completely fine. <laughs> so, uh, but I think you know I was when you're different in some way you adapt i don't know you're sort of an outsider for a little while so i think that probably changed me a little bit and how you know what i mean like i didn't have the same friends i started all over so i don't i wouldn't say that i reinvented myself but it was a it caused me to change as a person and then um geographically i mean i was in alaska then so that's where i started skiing and and the other thing about high school in alaska um they're very well-funded because of the oil money. So I took Japanese and German. and I mean, there's, they had tons of courses. The sports are well-funded. The facilities are beautiful. So it's a really great place to be in that regard.
3: That's actually fascinating. I had never Isn't thought it? about that at all. Right. Because I know that over here, and you've been a Nordic coach, it's <laughs> Nordic skiing... Um, is very well-loved here in Maine. And we now have the Maine Winter Sports Center, so it's gotten a lot more attention than it ever did. Right, But it's not, I wouldn't consider it overly well-funded.
2: No, I mean, it just lost funding, right? Didn't they have to find new funding? They
3: did, actually, Yeah. yeah.
2: So I, no, no, definitely not. And I mean, look what's happening in schools. What's getting cut, or attempted to be cut, are sports and extras, right? Art, you know, so. No, that never happened there. I mean, we used to go, I for ski practice, we would literally go out of the building and ski. <laughs> and then there were lighted trails because it was dark. The sun set at, you know, 2. So we would go ski right out the door. So it was amazing.
3: So Nordic skiing is a very, um, is an interesting sport because we all think of it as a highly individual sport, which it is. Right. But there's also a very strong sense of team Definitely. You know, you're, it's it's dark, it's cold, you finish, it's late. Definitely. Um, if it's like an afternoon practice, because I've done this, I know, I've been there. You've been there, yeah. yes. You know, you get on the ski bus. It sounds like right. you didn't have to get on a ski bus, but, you know. But
2: we did to go to races and things, so okay. I, I appreciate the bus, yeah. yeah so,
3: and, and you actually have to find some camaraderie with these other people right. who have just basically stripped down to their, you know, <laughs> you their know. skivvies to go out and ski on the course. Completely,
2: Right. I mean, I think early on when I started skiing there, I, um, I liked riding the, I mean, I liked the team. I don't think I, I did it because, I mean, I liked to ski, but it was really about being with my peers and being on the team, because it was a great, it was a great team. And then I think eventually as you get into the sport, you start to be more passionate about the sport itself. But yeah, high school sports, like, it's a lot about being on the team and being with your friends.
3: Well, did that help you as you were coming in as an eighth grader? Did that help you to have this love of sports, to have been a soccer player? Absolutely, without a a doubt. I got on the soccer team. I actually was a gymnast when
2: I moved there. I got on the gymnastics team. I got on that team. um, I ran, and yes. So, yes, I was a three-season athlete. And definitely, you find your friends, right? I mean, I think that's a big, I really do think that's a big part of sports for youth. Being part of a team, and you've had that experience too. Like, it, it's a good thing. Yeah.
3: I do love that part of things. I think that when it, my um, all of my kids, my two that are now in college, and the one that's starting high school, it really it is very important um, who their teammates are. Right. You <laughs> know, they've made fast friends with people that they've been with over the years. Um, they actually, I I know that there are people who have switched from one sport to another because their friend went. To right. a different sport, <laughs> right? And that's completely outside of the control of parents, right? Which is interesting because youth sports has very much become about parenting in some ways.
2: Unfortunately, yeah, yes.
3: So you have a couple of kids. How old are your kids? Uh, Twenty and sixteen. So what's your experience with youth sports, Ben? Um, I
2: my both of my kids ended up playing ultimate, so they're both playing high-level Ultimate now, and um, which is a sport that has grown a lot. But my daughter played soccer all the way through and lacrosse, and um, and my son, he swam. So, competitively, they both swam. But I, I think they dappled a little more in different sports and didn't, I, I feel like there was a lot of pressure. I mean, they, they, when you're cutting kids from a soccer team at age 11, I think it's ridiculous, personally so i um you know and i also remember like i i let my kids i mean i let them choose somewhat what they wanted to do and i think that they need to have some free time so i guess i'm not a big advocate of the year-round you know soccer going through the winter unless they're really really passionate about it and that's all they want to do i mean but i feel like there is a parental push to get your kids into these things and I don't know time goes by really fast and then you look back at it and think okay you know where are we now like was that was that a really good thing through your entire childhood or wasn't it you know did we have time to do other things or so I don't know I feel like I mean I've, I also see in the sports science that it's not a good thing to specialize when you're really young and how many of those kids are going to go on and be olympic soccer players or, you know, not very many. So you have to be doing it for the love and the passion of it. And again, it goes back to, like we both say, you know, we enjoyed being on a team, and what did that really give us? Like, what did did you take away from that? And that's what I want my kids to walk away with. Like, and you want them to be healthy and fit and, you know, to care about living well, but, you know, you don't care. Do you really care if they one or you know in the end so i guess i look back at it and i think parents should i don't know back off a little and then let the kids you know let that get them all involved i guess is what i'm seeing in ultimate frisbee is happening is like there are no there's there are no cuts you can play you can come out and play if you've never thrown and you will be welcomed onto the field i was coaching the Cape Elizabeth girls this year and the first game this season one of the girls came out and said wait um what are the rules <laughs> And I, thought, I said okay here's the basics you score down there you you know the, the disc will turn over you know i gave her like the 30 second because she wanted to go in and she said all right i go they'll help you They'll you'll figure it out and she did you know and she went on now and played in the youth um, club championships in minnesota that just happened this weekend and that doesn't mean she's a super high level player now but like she she got drawn in and again and you watch that sport and it's vigorous and demanding and you know and yet they love it and this it's it's a self-reft game too so it is an interesting game when you compare it to the way we've sort of manipulated soccer and
3: hockey and so tell me what you mean about the the manipulation of sports um so i guess
2: if you juxtapose ultimate and say so- take soccer for example, um, you know ultimate we're accepting everyone. Soccer we're cutting people. We're making A and B teams. You know, it's that's parent driven. Those choices are parent driven. There's refs on the field. I feel like the kids want to play. They just want to get out there and play, and they love it. And and all of the good things that come out of playing a sport, but. um... I guess I feel like we're sort of stomping on that by controlling the game so much. So.
3: Well, I do. It is interesting this whole idea of self-reffing because there is something that goes on when it's kind of like backlot baseball. You know, and you, the, the kids have to decide, you know, was, was that an out? Was it foul? You know, what, what was right. that? As opposed to some other bigger authority coming in and saying, that right. was this, and this is this. Right. So that's a, it is a very interesting contrast. Right, and I mean, U-
2: Ultimate Frisbee is based on spirit of the game, which actually is a defined concept. And it doesn't just mean being like, yay, we're happy. It means honoring the other players on the field. So if I call a foul and you disagree with me, you can state that you can test the foul and it will go back, you know? It does occasionally it becomes a little more sparring, but in general, the game itself relies on that. And it changes so much about the way players treat each other. And I've seen a little bit in mainstream, like in soccer, where you, you play like a kind of nasty team, say, and, like, I'm like, where does that come from? Like, when you know that that team is mean, like, in 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds sports, like, where, how does that happen? Like, is that trickling down? Is that an attitude? So you don't see that in Ultimate <laughs> because it's the whole concept of the game.
3: So, So what you're describing sounds like musicians jamming where you bring together a group of musicians and they jam on the field your ultimate frisbee players are playing as as a musical team right and i like that analogy because those musicians
2: coming in have amazing strengths that you get to highlight on in their performance and it's the same with ultimate so i mean you see amazing athletes out there on the field and you highlight each other's strengths definitely
3: A member of our household this year, um, he was a senior and he had played lacrosse all the way up through, and goes to Cape went to Cape Elizabeth, graduated, and he um, loved ultimate. And he ended up just like just walk on last year of my high school career. I'm going to play ultimate frisbee, and he felt like such a part of it. And for him. It was always about the team. It was always about his friends. His dad would tell me, you know, if he would get tired, he'd just say to the coach, "I want to come out." You know, when <laughs> right. it wasn't fun, he didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> right. And so when he started ultimate frisbee, it was so fun for him. He didn't want to miss games. He was willing to play yeah. game after game after that's game. So great. Right. And isn't that what we really want? Yes. Kids that's to- Exactly
2: what we want. Yeah. And look how many kids are playing. I mean, the team and Cape Elizabeth anyway. I mean, what did we have? It- we're able to have like four teams. I mean, it's a tiny town. So there are a lot of kids going out for it. And you do have to say, why? Like, what is it? And it's still very athletic. So anyone who hasn't seen the game should watch. I mean, it's an extremely athletic, amazing sport to watch. So, But yes, just that little difference in the way that it's approached.
3: It's fascinating, too, to me, because you have been an athlete at every level you are a coach now. I know that you coach Linda Banks, you coach triathletes, you work with people all over the world, and you're describing this very conscious decision to play almost the anti-sport, I want to call it, because it's a sport, it's a high-level sport, but it's so opposite of what most high-level athletes go into. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I think um, that
2: when you are... A lot of high-level athletes are passionate about their sport. And I guess that's all I'm saying with youth sport, that you want that passion and that fun. I mean, I may be very hardcore when I go train, train or race in a triathlon, but I love it. I mean, I love it. Like it and I think people I work with, I mean, a lot, a lot of them are busy people with families. Or, and maybe they were high-level athletes, and now they have full-time careers, or they, or they never were but they, they incorporate that into their lives and they love it, and it's on their own terms, really. And that's what I feel like about Ultimate. Like We, so much with youth, we're trying to tell them, this is what you should do, this is how you do it, you know, but, but why are they not, I mean, they're capable of making decisions, and so I guess it's sort of the same thing. It's, it's just being passionate and enjoying what you're doing.
3: And I know your husband, Tom, he's a surgeon, so he actually did a very mainstream educational thing. He's doing a very mainstream, He high-energy job, right. and yet you met on the Ultimate Frisbee field. We did. So here's another one that, you know, he could have yes. gone in a direction, right. but he went in the same direction you went, and you kind of met up on the field. Completely,
2: yes, right. I mean, Ultimate is very popular in colleges and universities and I mean, you know, in Portland now there were, I think, 34 summer league teams this year, so it definitely is attracting a lot of people. But, I mean, I'm sure Tom could talk for a long time about his love of ultimate. He just played out in the Grand Masters Nationals, but it's a sport. Yeah, there's just so many things in the sport that are um, are great.
3: Well, here's another interview where I feel like I could just keep talking forever because there's so many things we could discuss. I know. But um, how can people find out about the work that you're doing, Carrie, and the coaching that you do?
2: Yeah, so I coach through a company um, here in this area called PBM Coaching, and we have a website. And
3: um, And the website is? It's uh, pbmcoaching.com. Well, I like your approach. I think with anything, it's about finding things that we feel passionate about, that we want to get up every day and do, whether it's a child or an adult, it doesn't really matter. We have to want to do something, and then fitting it into one's life. That's so important. So I encourage people to um, reach out to you, Carrie McCusker, to find out about the coaching that you're doing. We've been speaking with Carrie McCusker, who is an endurance coach based in Cape Elizabeth. I really appreciate your coming in and talking with us today. Thank you. It was a lot of fun.
0: Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com.
3: You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, Show number 215, Youth Sports. Our guests have included Rich Smith and Carrie McCuster. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Lovemain Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Lovemain Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our youth sports show. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast and take a moment to give us feedback on iTunes. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life.
0: Love Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Mac Page, Mary Libby of Remax by the Bay, and Apothecary by Design. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Chase. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Bellisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com. We leave you with the song San Antone by The Ghost of Paul Revere, followed by So Long by Spencer Alden.
3: Oh.
2: you know